Hello and welcome to the World of Mouth podcast, where we share the stories of the world's best chefs and restaurateurs and their favorite destinations to travel and eat. My name is Kenneth Nars and I'm the creative director of World of Mouth, a platform that connects more than 600 restaurant experts who share their favorite restaurants, from the best place for a pizza slice, a taco or a hamburger, to the latest must-visit new fine dining restaurant opening. Today we're meeting Christina Bauerman, a chef with an innovative take on regional Italian fare at her Michelin-starred restaurant Glass Hostaria in Rome. Born in Puglia, in southern Italy, Bauerman originally studied foreign languages and law and worked as a graphic designer, before deciding to pursue a degree in culinary arts in Austin, Texas. We'll hear about Bauerman's return to Italy, where she first worked at Convivio Troiani and later joined Glass Hostaria in the heart of Trastevere. At the end of the podcast, she will reveal her favorite restaurant recommendations in Rome, Italy and in the US. You'll also find these places in the World of Mouth app. Could you tell me who is Christina Bauerman? Oh, that's a hard question. <laughs> who is Christina Bauerman? Um, I, uh, I was born in uh, Puglia, uh, in a very, very small village. Uh, actually very famous because they stole a bunch of cars, unfortunately. Um, but uh, I grew up in Bari, which is the capital of Puglia. And um, I followed a very kind of weird uh, career because I went to foreign languages high school. I love foreign languages in general. I graduated in law. I worked as a practicing attorney uh, for a couple of years. And then I decided to go study in the United States. So I went there with the idea of staying there for about six months, uh, actually a year, maybe two. But in reality, I ended up staying there for uh, 15 past years. I went from uh, San Francisco, which is the city that I uh, chose in the beginning, uh, to Southern California uh, because a company gave me my big break. A company owned 16 high-end restaurants, so I was offered a job and I said, okay, I'll go. And, um, and then I went on a trip uh, to visit Austin, Texas, and I fell in love with that city. I got a job offer and, as a graphic designer because as a, I worked as a graphic designer for about 10 years with the companies that actually paid for my education, but I never graduated. After 10 years of graphic design, I thought, actually, I probably realized that I could express my creativity. I found that I was a creative person, among all things. Um, I graduated in culinary arts. My educational uh, background is all French. And after I graduated, I worked in a couple of restaurants in Austin, Texas. And um, I thought that I wanted to open my own restaurants, but I wanted to have something more as opposed to other American cooks. And so I decided to uh, come to Italy again with the idea of staying here for about six months to a year. And uh, in reality, I ended up uh, being here. So I go back and forth and um, I try to keep up with all the modern worldwide trends. And uh, of course, I have a different uh, background as um, opposed to other cooks because I lived in another country, actually in three different countries, because Northern California is different uh, from, the, from Southern California. And uh, Austin, Texas, of course, as you can imagine, it's even a completely different culture. I travel quite a bit. Uh, I have a successful restaurant. Uh, here in Rome, and um, I have other things that are going on in the world, like a restaurant in uh, Turkey. Now it is my uh, this year is going to be my sixth year, so that's uh, you know my okay. life. 
tell me a bit about your your childhood, your background, uh, food, uh, when you grew up, how did you, I mean, you have, you ended up in the restaurant business through a, a few uh, twists and turns, Yes. but how was, I mean, food in your, when you, uh, when you were a kid and you grew up, how was that? Um, I had a very, uh, kind of like a nice, peaceful, uh, joyful childhood. I come from a family where my parents, uh, this year on January 15th, so in a few days, they will celebrate their 58th uh, wedding anniversary. Uh, so uh, I grew up in a family where food is paramount. I mean, literally, my parents would wake up in the morning and at breakfast they would talk about what will, they will cook for lunch and the lunch what they will cook for dinner. And I still remember on Friday night, they, they would literally argue on who was going to cook on Saturday and who on Sunday. Um, my father in particular was the one that would go to like little uh, boutique or uh, bakery and uh, uh, stores because that guy has the best mascarpone and this other guy has the best mozzarella. I remember uh, going hunting with him uh, when we were kids, when I was a kid, and uh, we would literally drive like 30 miles, 40 miles to go to a bakery that would make the best semola bread uh, in Puglia. So I grew up with this mentality. My mother instead was like the, uh, the modern one. I remember her preparing soy sticks when I was like, I don't even know, like 12, 13 years old. And she would literally read everything. Okay, this is good for you because of this, this, and this. So my mother is like the modern one. And my dad was a traditional one. But I think the deepest, best memories that I have is with my grandmother on my mother's side. With her, I've done sun-dried tomatoes. I still remember her on the terrace of their house that with the broom, she would flip the tomatoes on the floor. I mean, today it would be unthinkable. But I remember her that every day we would go and she would broom so that the tomatoes would flip uh, until they became sun-dried tomatoes. And they were literally dried by the sun. Or I remember helping her out, making the tomato um, sauce with my grandfather on the terrace, the, little, the huge, huge pot with the fire on, um, on the bottom and uh, to pasteurize, basically, the, um, the tomato sauce. Uh, I remember going with her to, the, uh, to a little farm that was right in front of, of their house. My grandfather was uh, the head of the train station in uh, Cerignola. And uh, I remember drinking the okay. egg still warm. And the crazy of my grandmother, she would give me like, she would uh, break the top of the egg, put a little bit of sugar and coffee. But I was not even, I think, six or seven and she would give me that to drink just in one shot. Or uh, I don't know. There are so many memories that I can't, I mean, it would take like a long time to listen. But I think that the love for food and the fact that food actually reminds me of a very happy childhood. Um, I don't know. Probably that, that, that's what makes me closer and closer, made me closer and closer to food as I grew up. Mm -hmm. 
currently you are spending um, I mean you have a strong connection obviously to 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 Italy and to Rome currently but also the American uh, yes. sort of connection how yes. do you how do you divide your time and how do you I mean your identities do you have like two different identities uh, by now oh yeah actually I do I'm a little bit schizophrenic as I always say but uh, I think that one what makes my life so incredibly I don't even I don't even have a, the right adjective I mean it's beautiful um, I have like uh, connections all over the world in particular of course you know with the United States because all my extended family uh, is there and all my friends but also from um, a culinary point of view I think I can see way more connections between the two cultures than anybody else a lot of times whenever I travel or whenever they tell me, oh, there's this great restaurant that opened up and I go there and I can see the connections. I think both uh, countries have so many interesting angles and the European and Italians in particular, they try to, um, they often dismiss other food culture. And I've always opposed that. I've always said, no, you cannot judge any other food culture because you don't know it. And um, just as a joke, so that you know, uh, Italians, you know what they think about American food. They identify American food with hamburgers, and that's it. And I say there's so yeah. much more than that, than hamburgers. But then if you go check all the restaurants that open in Italy, I can guarantee you that over 90%, they are American-inspired. Like right now, all this trend about barbecue and grilling, basically they don't even know the difference between the two of them. They are so popular. And uh, most of the restaurants that open here, they always have this angle. And I am like, I lived in Texas for so long that I can guarantee you that this is not grilling or this is not barbecue. What you call barbecue is not. And um, it's not just hamburger. There's way more than that. And you know better than me, Texas has a deep, deep culture on uh, barbecuing. So um, what do I do? I try to put them together. I always say that if you could reduce food cultures, world food culture, into sheets of paper, and you put them one on top of, on top of the other, you know, a stack, you will see that there's always one corner that overlaps. Well, I like to find that corner. I don't add a different ingredient, a, like a, a, a not autochton, so not local um, ingredient. I like to introduce that ingredient without people even knowing or without even mentioning. But that will add a little bit of depth, a little bit of interesting flavor, even though maybe it's traditional inspired. Your restaurant uh, that you now have in Rome, I mean, tell me, uh, when did that start? And, and uh, for those who haven't been there, tell me, how would you describe it? It is a, um, it is a breakthrough restaurant. It used to be a breakthrough restaurant. Consider that it was the first uh, restaurant that was assigned, that was awarded a Michelin star band, uh, 14 years ago, that was born with no tablecloths. First one ever. 
I know that this sounds kind of silly today because nobody has tablecloths uh, cloths anymore, or at least few of them. But I can guarantee you that 18 years ago, this was a real breakthrough. It's like, how can you even fathom the idea of a restaurant that wants to be high-end that has no tablecloths? And uh, that's how we started. And um, as of today, uh, this year is going to, it is my 14th year of um, being awarded a Michelin star. And I still am the only female in uh, Rome and Lazio to have a Michelin star. It is a great pride, but at the same time, very sad because most of the time I feel lonely. You know, I connect with a lot of uh, my colleagues uh, all over the world, you know, like uh, from Italy, literally to Turkey, to United States and so on. But most of the time, I'm the only one female. Um, it is a restaurant that does modern cuisine. Um, I wouldn't define that completely molecular as it has been at one point. And the reason is because I came to Italy with a different background. I remember using an immersion circulator when people didn't even know what it was here. I studied, uh, I started to study on McGee when people here were saying, still my grandmother does this without knowing why. Uh, I remember I was picked on because I used a thermometer as a reference for, you know, cooking meat or fish and so on. I used to know by heart already at the time the cooking temperature of every ingredient. And people were looking at me. It's like, oh, who is she? You know, they would pick on me or they would try to set me apart. But I kind of resisted. And uh, the reason I, um, I say this is because I am a woman from the South. And as a joke, I always say, we, women from the South, we get up in the morning with a blade in our, you know, between our teeth because we're ready to fight. And uh, that's probably the reason for which I didn't give up. Because mm-hmm. trust me, there were moments in which I thought, oh my God, this is impossible, this is insane, I cannot take this anymore. And considering that I had two degrees and I speak three languages, I always thought I can follow back, back on something, you know, I can find another job. So many times went through my, my brain to abandon this career, but I never did because I'm kind of used to fight. That's my, my personality. If you look about your, your, your current home city, Rome, um, what's uh, a few words, what's, what's happening there? What is the, uh, the restaurant atmosphere uh, currently in the city that has... Uh, thousands, I mean, one of the, the oldest restaurant cities definitely in the world. Well, um, Rome is a beautiful city, mismanaged like no other cities. One reason is because, of course, it is difficult to manage a city that is welcoming millions of people every year and was not prepared. I think the Romans, when they built it, they didn't think that millions of people were coming over here every year. So it's difficult from a, you know, a traffic point of view, difficult to uh, kind of like uh, step back or actually hold back the bureaucracy, which is overwhelming, but not only for Rome, in Italy in general. I think that is one of the reasons for which Italy is always kind of slower to grow because of an, an immense, overwhelming, overbearing bureaucracy. But at the same time, when you walk through the streets, and I'm lucky because I live literally two and a half minutes walk from my job, and uh, especially when you go around in the mornings, 
when uh, there's nobody and so on, you actually can cannot resist the beauty of it. So the restaurant scene, of course, adapted to the fact that you have millions of tourists. So you have lots of um, uh, restaurants that serve really bad food. And that is the reason for which Rome, probably more than any other city, uh, really needs some guides, especially for tourists, because they fall into the so-called tourist traps. I see restaurants that have lines of hundreds of people right in front of them, and I know for a fact that they serve frozen food. They don't even have cooks. They literally throw them in the microwave. On the opposite side, though, you have a growing community of um, restaurant owners and chefs. And I really hope that the number of these two figures coincide uh, will grow in the next few years. Because if you own the restaurant, you take pride in what you do and you don't look just at the money. You look at what you do and you want to be proud of it. So there's a growing number of uh, restaurant uh, owners and chefs that uh, are proposing, even though traditionally inspired, still modern Italian cuisine. The idea that the Italian cuisine, or Romans in particular, can be reduced to two or three traditional dishes is crazy. There's so much more than amatriciana and carbonara. And also this uh, yeah. intestine fight on who invented what is so ridiculous sometimes that it makes me smile. Who wants to know? How would you know that carbonara comes from Rome? You know, we, my, my dad used to prepare carbonara when he didn't have time to do anything else because it was easy enough to do it. Now it has become like it seems the most difficult dish on earth. It's not. If you have good ingredients, if you have like quality uh, of ingredients, then you can do anybody can do it. So um, I really hope that this trend of good restaurants that are traditionally inspired, but they in a certain way modernize, making it lighter, you know, more suitable to our lifestyle. We don't go like into the fields and consume actually thousands of calories. We need a lighter diet that allow us to actually lead a good, healthy lifestyle, even though we don't want to give up tradition. In the next part of the podcast, we'll hear Christina Bauerman's favorite restaurant recommendations in Rome, Italy, and in the U.S. If we continue on on Rome and and restaurants or any place, uh, um, eateries, cafes, bakeries, and so yes. so on, uh, please, um, I'm sure you'd like to to share a few of these places. Could you mention uh, a few places of of of, uh, of your favorites in in town? Yes, absolutely. Um, if you want to have a good breakfast, even though it's French-inspired, I'm telling you, uh, there's a one place, it's called Lelevan, and um, it is considered one of the best pastry shops. But there's also another uh, place where you can go get one of the best croissants, actually not croissant, cornetti, uh, in Rome. Okay. And it's owned by very young people. It's called Il Faro, like a lighthouse, 
basically that translation. Yeah. And uh, they, they take so much pride in what they do. And uh, their products are, of course, excellent. But again, it's part of that growing community that I was mentioning earlier. Then you have La Ciambella. It's owned by uh, Francesca, who is a chef, and uh, her wife, Mirka, front of the house, one of the best sommeliers you can come across. And it is traditional, traditionally inspired, but um, you kind of enjoy a nice environment. And of course, their wine cellar is spectacular. Then you have the Peppo, typical trattoria. Uh, you go there, you can have uh, from pizza all the way to the traditional um, uh, dishes, but also has a very good uh, choice on the fish. And it's uh, literally don't expect white cloths or don't expect, you know, any kind of like great service. But I can guarantee you the food is really good. Then you have Proloco, okay. which I mention all the time. Proloco is uh, uh, Vincenzo Mancino, the founder, uh, is actually one of the guys that uh, uh, created this uh, brand. It's called Dol, which means di origine laziale. It's like a sort of doc, D-O-C, but for Lazio product. And again, here you okay. have like one of the best products from like prosciutto, manzalitza, um, all the way to, you know, the traditional dishes. Very, very nice, lively environment. And it's next door to a bar called Big Star, uh, a, like a sort of a trustevere bar where everybody goes, everybody's nice, everybody knows each other, sort of like a cheers, you know, of trustevere. Then you have Bard. One of okay, those American-inspired okay. uh, little place that you can go and enjoy um, kind of like a nice, uh, yummy, uh, very young crowd um, attended uh, food. So that part is American-inspired. One is uh, and what, actually... What kind of food would that be? Uh, it would be like modern, American-inspired, but also... People, I can say with a certain degree of certainty that some of the American food, including hamburger, uh, are now, you know, part of, stable part of our tradition as well. Uh, so uh, everybody from like older people all the way to children, they uh, know what a hamburger is and they enjoy it. And so I can say, uh, and I'm sure that critics in the future will say that, that now hamburgers or that kind of American food is part of our tradition as well. So I'm, I'm sorry for Italians, but they kind of lost it there. Um, then I have one from Milan. It's called Polpo, just opened up not long ago. It is uh, Viviana Varese. She's uh, a Michelin star in uh, Milan. And she opened up this uh, kind of like 1980s uh, uh, restaurant where you have all the fish. Polpo means octopus. So it's specialized in uh, fish. So you have all these yeah. uh, fish that you can see, you can choose from. She uses a lot of grill. And uh, she's doing an amazing job, uh, very, very crowded every night. So if you want to go there in, in uh, Milan, you need to make a reservation with quite um, a number of days of, uh, in advance. Or you call me, and she's my friend, so I can get it too. Okay. <laughs> and very then uh, uh, there's one in Macerata. It's in the market. Uh, it's called the Trattoria da Nonna Rosa, which means, you know, Rosa's grandmother. And for me, they make the best traditional 
food from market and uh, specialize in stuffed pigeon. It's part of their tradition. And uh, Trattoria da Nona Rosa was one of my favorite. Then you have very okay. high end, two Michelin star traditional restaurant in Imola. Very famous already, but I mention it because I had one of the best experiences this year. It's called San Domenico. Uh, I think it has been around for, I don't even know, like 50 years or 40 years or something like that. Other than the food and service, it was absolutely excellent. It almost seems, you know, when you walk in, it's like you're stepping in another era. But everything is like so perfect. Also, to it almost gets on your nerves. It's like, is there anything wrong? And one of the things that you really need to visit is their wine cellar. It's to die for. It's insane. They have, imagine they have two wells into this wine cellar. So perfect food, very famous because he was the one at the restaurant. I don't remember the name of the chef who actually founded it. But I'm talking about 1970 maybe. He was the first one to yeah. make the raviolo with the liquid egg yolk inside. Very heavy. Okay. Very heavy with a black truffle on top and butter just to complete, you know, the degree of fattiness. But I can guarantee you uh, when you go there, you have to dress up. You have to go in there and let the guys in the front of the house uh, take care of you. And uh, food and service, excellent. But again, you are stepping in 1980s straight on. And then another yeah. one, uh, because I want to make a connection with uh, a restaurant in New York, uh, the Pasta Bar in Naples. Uh, the producer of very famous uh, pasta that I've been using for, I don't even know, 15 years maybe. Uh, he opened up this uh, Pasta Bar in Naples Central. You can actually see the sea in uh, Piazza Municipio. And uh, they serve pasta throughout the entire menu. And uh, very great experience from uh, uh, like a personal point of view because you have like all the Neapolitan people go over there. And of course, you know, from a palatable point of view because the pasta is actually excellent. I mean, I don't think there's anybody that cooks pasta better than them. The connection with New York is that he opened up actually in Chelsea Market, La Devozione. And I think it has been the first time that you have a high-end restaurant section because they have all of course you know for people who w even work at the Chelsea market they want to stop by and just have a dish of pasta but uh, he uh, created this yeah. oval so you have like a tasting menu all the way from aperitif to dessert with pasta and the cooks cook right in front of you so you can see everything and of course you know wine cellar because the owner actually likes to drink, especially champagne. So you have like a very high-end um, wine cellar. High-end in the sense of you have wow. like choice. Then, yeah. uh, Gorkali Kitchen in Tampa. It's a Nepalese, um, it's a very like small, like not high-end restaurant. But I had never had Nepalese uh, kitchen before, cuisine before. And I had the possibility of going there uh, last year. I want to say this year, but it's last year already. Um, and I really yeah. had a great experience. Very, you know, like not expensive. And you go there, you can go there with your shorts and tank top. Well, it is Florida on the other hand. So you can go with shorts and tank top, a tank top anywhere. And um, that's pretty much okay. it. There will be an opening 
um, in Valencia, but I will keep that for next year because we will see how it goes. Okay, great. Thank you for these recommendations. Uh, then then uh, one, one last question for you, actually. Um, I mean, you obviously travel quite a lot. Um, and you've also been featured in, by the way, in, in, in Netflix, uh, in, in, in a chef's program there. Could yes. you mention a few? I mean, such a thing, was that a big thing for you or was it just one more, more, uh, one more appearance in, 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 in media for you? Well, I had the possibility of actually even working and appearing with the very famous chefs from the States or other countries. By the way, I did forget one question to in my list. Can I mention it right now? Of course, of course. Uh, okay, it is Atranji, and it's an Indian restaurant that opened up in Dubai. In reality, the owner of Atranji um, is Indian and Milan-based. That's how I met her. And uh, I had the possibility of going there like a couple of months ago. And it was just insane because okay. it's like you're walking there. You're like in India, but you are in Dubai. And um, amazing food, not expensive, but the emotional connection that you make with India, especially if you have visited before, is extremely deep. Sorry for the interruption. Um, television okay. appearances. I am not one that yeah. has pursued TV at all. I could have, uh, if I had wanted, I could have hired an agent, I could have hired um, a company to follow up on that, but I, um, I didn't. Um, and I don't regret it because um, being an actress, for instance, it's something that never interested me. I think I am one of the very few kids who never wanted to become a ballerina or you know, an actress or a singer. No, uh, I wanted to be an astronaut or I wanted to be a physician, but honestly, not an actress. Uh, what, made it, what made it interesting or uh, what makes it interesting for me is to see how other people work. And for the first time, the Netflix thing that you mentioned, I was on both sides because I took care of everything. I mean, literally from the restaurant that was... Uh, um, taken, you know, for the, the, main, the main location of the movie, uh, to all the recipes, to all the plates, all those answers that you see, all those plates, I literally made them myself. I worked every day during the summer, and trust me, with no air conditioning here, because it's not as popular as in the States, uh, it was pretty hard. I chose every single, every single person works in the kitchen, except, of course, you know, the main actor, actors uh, or actresses, um, they're all my guys. So, because okay. I wanted to make sure that it was as uh, authentic as possible. And then, on the other hand, they wanted me to appear in the movie, and I was very happy about it. But um, I don't know if you noticed that I'm very natural, because it's like, okay, for me, this is like the easy part. You know, the hard part was the other one, the one that people cannot see it. So it was a great experience. And uh, honestly, if I had to redo it all over again, I would redo it, of course, in trying to bettering, but I would redo it in general because I think that uh, that movie was not focusing, of course, on the kitchen uh, because the love story was you know, the main theme. But I would like to actually create a movie that was uh, authentic about cuisine and about women in the kitchen, for real, 
not people who are always angry, like I've seen in some of the movies that we're not going to mention, which I liked, but the figure of yeah. the woman uh, was in a certain way misrepresented. But hey, uh, one last question. Um, if you would be able to uh, close down all the projects and restaurants now for a few days and pack your bag this evening and travel anywhere in the world to, uh, to one restaurant uh, and have a meal there, which, uh, which restaurant could that be? Uh, that's easy. Peru Central. Because I've seen, I've um, worked with him. I actually done like a couple of uh, um, forehands dinner with him, I met him many times, but I have never had uh, uh, a meal at his restaurant. That's what I would like to do. And I'm talking about, of course, Virgilio Martinez. Okay, so that's that's a clear, clear pick for you. You so see, Central, you in, said in, that, in, and in I thought, program. because I'm actually good, today it's my first vacation day, I thought, okay, great, what the mouth is going to give me like a chance to go anywhere? I want. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> We'll think about that next next time. Yes. All right. Okay. Okay. Very good, uh, Christina Bauerman uh, in Rome. Thank you so much. Uh, it was great talking to you, and thank you for your all your recommendations. And uh, good luck with all your projects there. Thank you so much, Kenneth. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Wall of Mouth podcast with Christina Bauerman of Restaurant Glass Hostaria in Rome. You'll find all of the recommendations mentioned in this episode and more in the Wall of Mouth app, available in your app store, or visit our website at wallofmouth.app. I'm Kenneth Nars, until next week with a new podcast guest.